0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.40 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 29th of November 2021. This is episode 508 of Bitcoin and you can crash the system. That's right. You can crash the system. Looking right here at a tweet from Sat Attack, or also known as at every last Sat who's responding or replying to a tweet from, uh, Denver Bitcoin, who's showing a video of somebody walking up to a QR code with a Sharpie and marking in a few of the boxes which as you know (laughs) will jack up that qr code uh pretty severely in fact so severely that uh, you will not be able to use the qr code and bad things you know bad things happen and this qr code that's being marked up specifically is in a hospital or it looks to be a hospital but it's like check in for your health check for the beer virus okay or it's either that, it's a little fuzzy. It's either, all I know is it says it says health check. And the response here from Sad Attack is, a nice little picture, nice little meme picture, crash the system. Always carry a permanent black marker pen and as you pass a QR code, simply add a dot. Those checking in after will be blocked, the system will crash. It's not about health, it's about total control. And it's got a nice little picture of a, of a black Sharpie or a black marker. My, my selection of black markers for this kind of uh, uh, thing is uh, a nice, good old-fashioned black Sharpie pen. Good cap. It, the, the caps really don't come off unless you really pull on it so you can keep it in your pocket. And it won't jack up your pants or your shirt uh, if you're keeping it in a shirt pocket. I highly recommend doing this. And I'm going to start doing it. Um, just because I'm, I'm just fucking done. We've got the moron variety out now or moronic, which is an anagram for Omicron, which is this new variant name. Uh, it's just, we've gone beyond the pale, ladies and gentlemen, this has become, this has become so ridiculous that even the people that were giving me shit about, you know my stance on this particular pandemic, quote unquote, the, the the vaccine passes and mandates, and you know why I didn't want to get vax and all that bullshit. Even th- I'm seeing cracks starting to form, even in the most staunch of the supporters that have been go- that have been there for Fauci and his crew of freaking miscreants for the last year and a half. Cracks are forming, people, and I I honestly. I honestly am very surprised that uh, the system decided to do the Omicron thing. It's a a variant out of South Africa. Maybe three people in South Africa had it. As far as we know, at this point, I don't trust anything. I don't think anybody had it. I don't think it's a thing. I, 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 I don't. You know, I haven't seen scanning electron micrographs of any of the variants that we've seen to date if if it's such in if it this is a pandemic then that virus is in such physical abundance that it would be very easy to get enough of that virus purified and actually get it coated with gold particles and put it into an uh, get a scanning electron microscope of this thing so that we could actually see it but all we've seen are computer models and yet it's everywhere well Guys, at one point or another, you're going to have to actually prove that the model is correct with the physical, uh, a physical rendition or rendering of this particular virus. All the variants, no matter where they come from. <clears throat> so with the lunacy, with the lunacy that is just permeating the world right now, uh, I think taking a black Sharpie with you everywhere you go, And screwing up like any QR code that has something to do with vaccinations, vaccination checks, rapid test, any of that bullshit. You need to just go ahead and publicly deface that motherfucker. Now, here's the deal. It's more than just adding a dot. Okay. What I recommend is finding one of the full squares. Some of them are, there's usually like four, you know, anywhere between three or four of them and use the ones that are in the middle not the the squares that are on the uh, four corners of the QR code. Find one that's in the middle and color it in and make sure that you don't color over the border because that will really, really mess things up. Why? Well, because if you just go through and mark, you know, a whole bunch of the squares, yeah, it'll fuck it up, but it'll be easily noticeable. The thing about a QR code is that they're not human readable. Nobody can just... Nobody sits around and says, I'm going to memorize this QR code so that if anything changes about it, I'll know, no, it doesn't work that way. All right? So you you got to keep it compact. You got to keep your markings where it, it makes sense insofar as how the structure of a QR code is. So don't just go through and you know scribble on it. That's not really going to you know, work as well as you think it's going to work. They'll just know something got jacked up with it. They'll look at it and go, oh, look, somebody defaced it and they'll just go get another one, all right? So be judicious about the way that you use your Sharpie, all right? And I, why do I recommend Sharpie? Well, other than the cap being a very tight fit and protecting your clothing or your you know purse or whatever it is that you're carrying with you, uh, it's also <clears throat> indelible ink. I have children, ask me how I know. <laughs> it won't come out. If that shit gets on something, it does not come off. The only way that that comes off is if you use alcohol and it's on glass or on a whiteboard and you're using alcohol, and even then, it ain't that great of a cleanup. So moving on, Microstrategy has purchased an additional 7,002 Bitcoin for $414.4 million at an average price of $59,187 per Bitcoin. As of 11, 29, 21, we hold... One hundred and twenty one thousand forty four bitcoin acquired for three point five seven billion dollars at an average price of get this twenty nine thousand five hundred and thirty four per bitcoin. if you keep with the averages, it's like the guy can never lose, even though that when he bought at fifty nine one eight seven and all you know honestly we're what at fifty seven now and we plunged to something like fifty two um he just keeps on winning, he just keeps on winning. And I just can't wait until he announces, I don't know, MicroStrategy, I get the feeling that MicroStrategy is gonna throw in with uh, El Salvador on this Bitcoin volcano bond stuff. And it's gonna be really interesting when he does. If he doesn't, you can chew me out on Twitter. It'll be okay, I I can take it publicly. Now, very unexpectedly, and this was announced this morning early, Out of Coindesk, Jamie Crawley is writing that Jack Dorsey is expected to step down as Twitter CEO, per a report. Uh, Jack Dorsey, the Bitcoin-friendly CEO of Twitter, is expected to step down from his position as head of the social media giant, according to CNBC. CNBC reported Monday that Dorsey is expected to step down, according to their sources, Dorsey is a well-known fan of Bitcoin, having initiated several projects involved, uh, involving the crypto, both through Twitter and through payments company Square, of which he is also a CEO. So that's all we know right now is that a report from CNBC citing quote-unquote sources says that Jack Dorsey is going to step down from Twitter as CEO. Now, why is this kind of a good thing? I think it is a good thing, and here is why. Twitter or Jack doesn't have control over Twitter. He doesn't have anywhere close to as much control over Twitter as anybody thinks he does. Just because he's the CEO of Twitter, it appears that he has not had voting majority in that company for a very long time, which is why when he went to go interview with Joe Rogan, what, last year or something like that, or possibly even the year before, it's been kind of a while, he had to bring his chief communications officer with him and I was listening to that that episode and realized that Jack really wasn't saying as much as his chief communications officer. What does that tell you? Jack didn't bring her along with him because he wanted to. She was going to go because that's what the board of directors wanted. They wanted to make sure that Jack didn't say anything that was wrong, misleading, or something that wasn't in the interest of Twitter, which means... Jack has not been in control of Twitter's major decision-making in quite some time, i.e. who gets censored, who gets to take a sitting president off of a platform, yada, 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 yakity schmackety a yakada poon So <clears throat> here we go. Does this mean that he's going to step down from square? We don't know. I don't think so. I get the feeling that Jack has something in mind. And I think he's about to, I think he's about to express to us that he's going to open up the blue sky social media platform. I I don't have any idea if that's the proper name for it, but he's been talking about an open source uh, social media platform that takes away the control that Twitter has over, uh, over their users and puts it back into the, into the hands of the users themselves. Will he do it? I don't know. But this, I don't, I, I just, I got gotta, I gotta I got one of my gut feelings. I don't think this is bad. The real question is, will Twitter keep that little tipping feature that they have through the Lightning Network that they uh, hooked up with, with Strike? And I think that they will. Because again, I don't think that that was Jack's decision. I think he presented it to the board I and all his C-suite guys. And I think that they actually liked the idea. And he just happened to be corroborated in his position on that. And they said yes. And because of that, I don't think that they're going to take the tipping function away. But if they do, please use it to tip me. And let me keep the lights on over here. All right. Let's see. What do we got next? Bitcoin catches a break in D.C., As Biden pick for OCC stumbles in Senate, Senate, Jeff John Roberts has it for Decrypt. The Senate is poised to reject the White House's choice to lead the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, the OCC, the federal agency charged with overseeing the country's banks, Axios reported this week. The impending rejection is significant for the crypto industry since the nominee, Soleil Amarova, has been an outspoken critic of crypto. And in recent months, she has described crypto as benefiting from a dysfunctional financial system and shared a financial Times story that framed Bitcoin as a symbol of American decline. Oh boy, let's just kind of pause there just to make sure that we all realize what she's saying. She's saying that the greatest nation on the face of the planet is so frail and weak that an un... (coughs) A non-physical entity such as Bitcoin is causing its decline. Just ruminate on that for a little bit. The largest military in the world, with more military bases around the world, with more conquest than any other nation on the face of the planet in the history of the planet is being brought to its knees by computer code. Really? Really? So we're that week, Wow, that is an amazing and, and a bold statement from the socialist Marx Award-winning, you know, nominee, which is up for the OCC. <clears throat> yeah, she won the Marx Award because she was trained in Kazakhstan, which was, you know, at the time when she was going to college there, uh, she it was definitely Marxist territory, territory, Soviet Union, that kind of shit. And she, was, and she is up for nomination for the Comptroller of the Currency of the United States, who thinks that American decline is due solely to the fact of Bitcoin. Man, run away from this chick, dude. Anyway, the Biden administration is still backing this bitch to be head of the OCC, but she appears to have no path to confirmation as five Democratic senators have told the White House that they will not vote for her, <clears throat> according to Axios. With a Senate that is currently divided 50-50 and no Republicans willing to support Amarova, the White House cannot lose a single Democratic vote. The Senate opposition to Amarova, a Cornell law professor, is not rooted specifically in her position on crypto. Instead, senators have called attention to her academic writing, which has called for hemming in banks and giving citizens direct access to accounts at the Federal Reserve. But at least one senator, Cynthia Lummis, has specifically blasted Amarova's position on digital assets and labeled her a radical. Amarova's policy positions, along with her education in Moscow, has led other Republicans to label her a socialist and one GOP member to ask if she should address her as comrade. (laughs) Comrade Amarova. The White House shot back that such labels are misleading and blasted the criticism of Amarova as red-baiting. The OCC, a division of the U.S. Treasury, is important to the crypto industry since the agency affects how banks can interact with blockchain technology and crypto companies, and its leader has considerable sway over said policies. Brian Brooks, the acting comptroller of the OCC, During the final months of the Trump administration was a rare champion of crypto in Washington, D.C. before leaving the job last January, Brooks issued a series of interpretive letters that gave banks new powers, such as permission to custody crypto, run nodes, and work with stablecoin issuers. Following Brooks's departure, the Biden administration named former bank regulator Michael Su as his temporary replacement. Sue's attitude towards crypto has been frosty compared to his predecessor, though he has indicated he will not revoke Brooks's policy so long as banks seek permission before offering crypto services. Whomever the Biden administration nominates as permanent head of the OCC will be appointed to a five-year term, provided that they are confirmed by the Senate. Biden's other senior appointments to top finance posts, including Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and SEC Chair Gary Gensler, have taken a dim view of crypto, so the eventual head of the OCC is likely to do the same. But the implosion of Amarova's nomination is a short-term win for the crypto industry, as it should mean an OCC head who is less less hostile. Yeah, well, we'll have to see about that shit. In either event, Bitcoin does not care who the OCC chairman is it does not care who the treasury secretary is you know i mean it may mean that okay so bitcoin doesn't care those who holding bitcoin do care let's let's just be fucking honest about that shit bitcoin may not have to care it doesn't have any mechanics to be able to care it's simply code running all over the world it's the running all over the world that you should take note about but second I am a Bitcoin holder. Bitcoin doesn't care about me either, but I care about Bitcoin. And I also care about not going to fucking prison. That would suck. I, I there's things that I would like to do with my life. So we can say Bitcoin doesn't care all we want, but people do, okay? So let's, let's be honest about, you know, where we are on, on all this stuff. Now, regardless, <clears throat> if it comes down to it and I have to leave the United States, I can leave and just be gone. And about all they'll get is 40% of whatever I've left in my bank account to make it look like I was honest about it. I mean, I'll put like $10,000, you know, I'll just eviscerate everything else. It all goes into Bitcoin and I leave $10,000 and they say, well, you're going to have to pay $4,000 to get out, you know, revoke your citizenship. Fine. Take it, dude. I'm, I'm good. And then I'm, I'm just done. I'm just fucking done. I mean, the the lunacy of the of the moronic variant, the idiocy of Bill Gates running around saying we had this we had this test of our trust in the politicians and we failed. And I can't understand that. I mean, dude, why are we listening to Bill Gates? I why are we listening to any of these people? I mean, we grew up with having, you know, basically being taught. Yeah, well, you should probably listen to senators because the people next door to you voted for them. I I kind of get it. But at this point, the shit that's been going to Washington, D.C. is so bad that I think that what we really do need is to find a very low bottom floor to our level of trust, right? I mean, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way insofar that we have literally no trust left for almost everybody except the dog catcher of our town and build back from there if we're gonna build anything back at all. I mean, my God almighty, I would rather go to El Salvador who's celebrating Black Friday by buying 100 BTC for 20% off. Turner Wright has it for Cointelegraph. Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele bought the dip again Investing more than $5 million into Bitcoin as the price dropped under $54,000 on Friday. In a Friday tweet, El Salvador's president said he had purchased 100 Bitcoin following a global market sell-off in response to a new COVID-19 variant discovered in South Africa. According to data from Cointelegraph Markets Pro, since reaching an all-time high price of $69,000 on November the 10th, Bitcoin has fallen more than 20% to reach $54,343 at the time of publication, an 8% drop in less than 24 hours. Bukele first announced El Salvador would be making a major BTC purchase on the eve of the country's Bitcoin law going into effect on September the seventh, buying two hundred BTC when the price was price was roughly fifty two thousand. He has tweeted each time that the government purchased coins during the price dip, with the country holding one hundred, or sorry, one thousand one hundred and twenty BTC before the latest buy. With the addition of 100 coins, on November 26, El Salvador holds BTC worth roughly $66.3 million at time of publication. Since first announcing legislation aimed at making Bitcoin legal tender in El Salvador in June, Bukele has (laughs) proposed several initiatives in the country around adoption and mining. The government has started construction of the infrastructure to support the state issued Bitcoin wallet Chivo and recently unveiled plans to launch its own Bitcoin city at the base of a volcano funded initially by $1 billion in Bitcoin bonds. Many Salvadorans have pushed back against the crypto initiative, specifically protesting Bukele and Bitcoin. In September, residents marching through the capital city destroyed one of the Chivo kiosks and defaced the remains with anti-BTC logos and signs the country's popular resistance and rebellion block, as well as a group consisting of retirees, veterans, disability pensioners, and other workers have also conducted demonstrations against the Bitcoin law. Let me tell you this about those demonstrations. One, nobody goes to them except for the 10 or 15 people that do. And the photographers that take pictures of them make sure that they angle and set up such, such pictures that 10 people somehow or another look like may give you the feeling that there's thousands, but there's never thousands. There's never really even hundreds. And the defacement of the Chivo kiosk, I'm pretty sure that the FBI sent their sleeper agents to go do that for them and well, here we go. So there you go. Bitcoin is the new world. The American empire is handling handling Bitcoin as well as the British empire handled America. This is from Bitcoin Magazine, Ian Reese. As the nobility of European society is increasingly accrued more of the wealth of their nations, they give rise to a new type of subject: the colonist. Still subject to the king's laws, these pioneers put up the only capital most had to risk their lives, with hopes of owning the one thing that was out of reach for so many in Europe: land. Once you start down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you eventually come to internalize the concept of low time preference. <clears throat> what could be more <clears throat> low time preference than sailing for weeks across an ocean to a sometimes unknown destination to start over from scratch? With the possibility to, possibility to own land within sight, many took the risk to ensure a better future for themselves and their descendants. And let's not kid ourselves, though. Not every colonist who came over on any of those early expeditions became wealthy. Most of them died. The key words there being most of them, not all of them. And for the colonists who survived and thrived, it was that thriving that attracted more colonists. So much so that by 1776, a third of all British commercial shipping vessels had been built in New England. So what happened? This is a question that I was pondering as my wife and I were walking the streets of New Orleans. The answer I kept coming back to as we walked streets with Spanish, French, and English names was simple. The French, Spanish, and English kings never stepped foot in the new world. They never experienced firsthand how much freedom their subjects had in this new world. If they had experienced the new world, they would have understood that revolution was inevitable, just like Bitcoin. In the old world, freedom was something that was granted to individuals by a monarch. That freedom was usually a title, be it a baron, a count, or smoldering duke. These these titles granted the holder different rights and privileges. Some titles allowed the holder to not pay taxes. Others allowed the hodler to uh, get a monopoly in a certain industry, but almost all titles gave the hodler direct control over a certain area of land. The larger your title, the more wealth you and your family could accrue. The title was fiat. In fact, in 1807, decades after the American Revolution, the Portuguese royal court moved from Lisbon to Rio de Janeiro for 13 years before moving back to Portugal. And during the time that the court was located in Brazil, the Portuguese royal family collectively granted more titles of nobility, 145 of them, more than it had granted in its past 300 years of existence in Portugal. The vast majority of titles granted went to those who had traveled with the court in 1807 or had fought the French in Portugal and somehow had made their way to Brazil. They even granted titles to British individuals. Only six were granted to Brazilians. Additionally, once a family held one of these titles, it was hard to lose. It was passed down from generation to generation through marriage, usually to the oldest son, and since there were never enough titles to go around, there was always a plot to murder someone and inherit the title. You can only have a system that relies on murder for redistribution for so long before everyone is either plotting to murder someone or is actively being plotted against, and that's a very unstable way to rule. The old world power structures could never see value in nor acknowledge the existence of that freedom because they already had that freedom in the form of their titles. They only valued what it could extract from the labor of people to fund its non-stop wars in the old world. Sound familiar? Far away from the power centers and palace intrigue of Europe, the colonists were able to organize into new power groups with their own means of wealth generation and While they were based on the same principles of the old world, land and property rights, they were groups of men who would never come close to the levels of some achieved in the new world. Hell, after the revolution, they wanted to make George Washington, one of the largest landowners in Virginia, king of America. He modestly settled for a city named after himself instead. Nice. Despite still being subjects of the king of England, The colonists began to accrue their own wealth from the resources that the land provided, such as timber and fisheries in the north, and in the south, tobacco and cotton. These industries, while still subject to taxes and laws of the British Empire, are from whence American power bases originated, and competition ensured that the most efficient producers cleared the market of underperforming participants. Nobody was granted the title of, quote, master of the timber or some nonsense like that. This was much more efficient and a much more stable way to rule. As the colonists built up their industries, they were, in a sense, stacking sats. The king couldn't take these industries from them if he wanted to. All he could do was trade when times were good, tax when times were bad. But by the time the colonists were drafting the Declaration of Independence, They had done the math and decided that their stacks were large enough to challenge the notion that they were still subject to old world power structures of kings and titles. They had earned that freedom by transforming North America into a more efficient system of production and wealth distribution. The counts and dukes could not exert privileges on the colonists. They could only enter as market participants competing for the same land and resources. Sure, they may have had more capital coming with them from the old world, But they had to part with some of it and buy the land from colonists, which in turn funded new enterprises by the newly wealthy colonists. In America, we opted for debt instead of titles, thanks to Alexander Hamilton. Bitch. To be clear, this is an improvement to the system. Loans are unlimited. Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg don't have to try to kill one another in order to inherit the title, the Duke of Social Media Andia, but, you know, lo- loans are just titles by another name. And at the end of the day, someone approves your loan. How is this any different than a king granting you a title? There are just many kings you can appeal to for a title now, such as the Bank of America, JP Morgan, City, and much, much more. However, the trick is that after a certain amount of loans, no one expects these massive debts to be paid off. Rather, the money is made in servicing the debt. So whoever can take on the most debt, cough, cough, American government, cough, de facto has the highest title. It took nearly 300 years From Columbus discovering the new world to the Americans challenging the old world power structures, they managed to build up enough production capability to fight a war that separated church from state, but more importantly, subject from king, two of the most powerful institutions of the old world. It's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't have Twitter in your pocket, or not bad for a bunch of guys with wooden teeth and no internet. And yet, here we are, two and a half centuries later, And Bitcoin has become the digital new world. It is a lot easier to get than the physical new world. The land is just as pristine and cheap, and there are no indigenous people to displace and feel bad about 300 years later, although a lot of us early adopters may occupy that role soon. (laughs) Those same freedoms and resources and opportunities to build new industries and form new power bases are there for the taking. Hopefully, this time the new world finds a way to coexist with the old without the bloodshed. Yeah, good luck. I I hope he's right. I really do. This makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I can definitely see where Bitcoin can be seen as the digital new world, uh, or the new world in a digital format. Um, I I try to shy away from you know, Bitcoin is is uh, like land or Bitcoin is real estate. Although in a very real way, it kind of is. Because if you own, you know, an amount of Satoshis, I see it not converting, but I see a situation arising in the future where somebody will have to rent your Satoshis to make a transaction. Something like that. And I mean, hey, you know, I rent apartments to people every once in a while. You know, I mean, it happens. It's And it's not like I'm, you know, forcing them to do it they're actually coming to me saying hey that condo in santa fe i kind of like it i'd like to rent it for a couple of years uh you got a problem with that hell no i got no fucking problem with that and i wouldn't have a problem with renting somebody my ability to transact on the main chain of the bitcoin network whether be to open up lightning channels Whether it is to peg into the liquid side chain, I don't know. I mean, there's a multitude of shit coming down the pipe. But I hold the keys to a certain amount of, for lack of a better term, real estate on the Bitcoin main chain. And I can definitely see a time arising where people will come to me and say, I hear you got some Satoshis. I don't suppose I could rent them from you for a little while. I got to do some transactions. And then I get the Satoshis back. I, I, I can see it happening. Hey, let's run the numbers. CNBC Futures and Commodities: Oil is in the news yet again. Now, <clears throat> I was um, I was shocked on Friday to see a ten to eleven percent drop in oil prices because of the moronic variant, you know, that thing from South Africa. It crashed everything. It wasn't just Bitcoin. I mean, everything got butt-fucked, all right? The Dow Jones fell, all the oil prices fell except, well, all flammable liquid prices fell except for natural gas, which actually increased quite a bit, but has reversed its trend today. We'll get into all that right now. Let's start with West Texas Intermediate. 5.22% to the upside. Oh, at $71.65, we're nowhere close to where we used to be at anywhere between $79 and $82, which was West Texas Intermediate's uh, high. Brent North Sea, uh, 3.99% to the upside, sitting at $75.62 a barrel. Natural gas has fallen 11.5%. It's under $5 for the first time in quite a while and is standing at $4.84 gasoline also is risen five and a quarter percent but is still only two dollars and 13 cents a gallon except that translates to roughly seven bucks on the west coast for whatever reason gold is up scant but below eighteen hundred dollars silver is down point six eight percent to 22.95 platinum is up over a point copper is up almost a point as well as palladium which is up almost a point Ag is mixed, and your biggest loser today is going to be corn, 1.35% to the downside. Actually, no, it just flipped. Coffee just got its balls kicked in, 1.58% to the downside. The biggest winner looks like it's going to be cotton up almost half a point. Dow futures up 0.28%. S&P futures up 0.92%. Uh, NASDAQ futures up 1.56%. A hell of a recovery right there. S&P mini, 0.38% to the upside. Let's talk about real money at $57,014. Yes, I know, I know. Dude, <laughs> you want to know what the funny, what the funniest thing in the world was? Don't get me wrong on this, all right? Don't think that I've made a decision because of all-time high at 69,000. It just so happened that I quit. Uh, I quit a job that I was not really happy with, at exactly the top. And when I mean exactly the top, I mean I can. I can. Don't ask me to show you the email that I sent, but the timestamp on that email is in the same hour of the very top hour. Uh, uh, hour bar of the top of Bitcoin, and then it just. just went down for there. And this leads me to this thing that I think about a lot. I'm nobody important. That's okay. I can deal with it. I'm not, you know, a world-class leading economist with, you know, five Nobel prizes and got, you know, indoctrinated, you know, went through Harvard and all that shit. I get it. And yet I still can't help, you know, thinking, did I do this? which is the dumbest thought in the world of course i didn't do it it wasn't my fault that bitcoin's price fell it's a coincidence it just so happened to be maybe i could sense what was going on and i you know executed at the exact wrong time but dude i would honestly i'd have quit that particular job at any fucking price of bitcoin at any price it just so happened that it was at the very highest price it could be and I still think it's funny. So if if for whatever reason, though, the lesson here, boys and girls, is this. <clears throat> if for whatever reason you're walking around thinking that an action that you take is going to affect Bitcoin, get over yourself. It's not you. It's Bitcoin. OK, let's continue. 260,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. 10,835 transactions every hour on the hour with 330, what, 75,000 BTC being sent in the last 24-hour period. That is about 15,600 BTC every uh, uh, every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.5 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.011 BTC or $641. Block times are low at 9 minutes and 28 seconds. With, uh, what, 0.05 BTC taken in fees in a per block basis, and, oh, wow, only 8.62 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24-hour period, and with a 1.02% rise in hash rate, we are only at 155.5 exahashes per second. Yeah, only even though that's probably 10 times more security than we actually need. But it is what it is. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin as usual and is standing at 21 and United States pennies. Yeah, I hope that hurt. Uh, 6,898 transactions are waiting on three blocks to clear We are still, however, even after the drop, we're still at $1.08 trillion of market capitalization, which is 9.19% of gold's entire market cap. Alas, we can now only purchase 31.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,886,285.25 of, and 3,284.96 of those are locked up in uh, uh, in the Lightning Network valued at $187.3 million, being run over 18,356 nodes, and we've ticked over 80,000 channels to 81,110 payment channels, 73.9% of which are going through the Tor side of the Lightning Network, uh, 2,427.17 BTC represented in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, And that is being handled with 11,158 nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Brian Quarmby starts us off with this one from Cointelegraph. New German government cites crypto in coalition agreement. The new German government has cited crypto in its coalition agreement advocating for an equal playing field between traditional finance and, quote, innovative business models, end quote. Three German political parties agreed to a coalition deal this week that will see left-leaning Social Democrats, the Green Party, and the right-friendly Free Democrats take the reins from December this year. According to a rough translation of the 177 page agreement published on Wednesday, the coalition calls for a new dynamic in relations to the opportunities and risks from new financial innovations such as crypto assets and blockchain businesses. Quote, we are making European financial market supervisory law fit for digitization and for complex group structures in order to ensure holistic and risk adequate supervision of new business models. End quote. Quote. We need joint supervision or uh, we need joint European supervision for the crypto sector. We oblige crypto asset service providers to consistently identify the beneficial owners, the agreement adds. The document states that the European Union supervisory authority should not only take care of the traditional financial sector, but also prevent the misuse of crypto values for money laundering and, of course, you guessed it, terrorist financing. Jesus, get a new fucking playbook, guys. The formation of the coalition reportedly took two months of negotiations following the German federal elections on September the 26th, and it marks the end of Angela Merkel's 16-year reign of terror as chancellor. Okay, I added Reign of Terror, but whatever. Who is retiring and will be replaced by the SDP's Olaf Schools. We're going to get schooled by Olaf. Elsewhere on the continent, the European Council, which guides the EU's political agenda, adopted two proposals, named the Regulation on Markets and Crypto Assets Framework and the Digital Operational Resilience Act. MICA, the markets and crypto assets thing, in particular, Initially drafted by the European Commission in September 2020, aims to create a regulatory framework for the crypto assets market that supports innovation and draws on the potential of crypto assets. While it still needs to be ratified by the European Parliament, if enacted, it will subject crypto asset issuers to more stringent requirements, but non-fungible tokens and utility tokens will fall outside the scope of the regulation in a comprehensive post from Reddit user Belgian politics in the cryptocurrency subreddit on Friday uh, on Friday the progressive regulatory proposal was labeled as the most important one to date for the entire crypto industry ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, the hubris. The Reddit user's analysis has almost 900 comments at the time of writing and provides a detailed rundown of the proposed laws in MICA, M-I-C-A. The author emphasized the significance of their proposals. Okay, guys, get ready to laugh. Quote, these rules will have to be followed by every entity operating in the European Union. However, Because of the Brussels effect, there is a very good chance that these rules will become international standards in the end. While everyone is focused on the US and China, the EU is casually leading the way. Well, have fun freezing to fucking death this winter because you've screwed up so bad that you allowed Vladimir Putin to sit on your only natural gas supply. Congratulations to the EU for leading the way. Wow. That's sort of, that's really leading the way ladies and gentlemen, if you believe the hubris presented here, I got bridges all over the world to sell your ass, especially ones in deserts. All right. This is ridiculous. The EU is not leading anything, but their populace into a mire of depravity, fearfulness and a sketchy future, a very sketchy future. In fact, I don't think the European Union is going to last until 2030. I think by the time we hit 2030, it's all going to be over but the crying. Just saying. Let's move on. Physical Bitcoin fund approved in Singapore. Let's find out more from Bitcoin Magazine's Namcios. Singapore-based fund manager Fintonia Group, regulated by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, has launched a physical Bitcoin fund and a yield fund as reported by Fund Sector Asia. The offerings are geared towards professional and institutional investors seeking direct passive Bitcoin exposure and an avenue for obtaining loans on their BTC holdings. I'm going to pause right there. I mean, professional and institutional investors seeking direct passive Bitcoin exposure. It's like, it's almost as if the corrals have been reversed, where I can just go buy Bitcoin and these guys can't. They just can't go buy Bitcoin. Maybe they can personally, but they can't for their fund. So I'm on the outside of of like a cattle feeding operation, watching these poor assholes be led to slaughter. And I'm like just sitting there looking at physical Bitcoin that I hold on a, you know, not on a cold card, but I hold keys like on a cold card or a hardware wallet, whatever, to be able to vector those Bitcoin on the Bitcoin main chain. That's what the private keys do. They allow you permission to vector those coins to, to somebody else. You change direction and magnitude, that's a vector, okay? So I can vector those coins. Now, I never hold the coins, but these guys, it's like they're being corralled in, in a place that they don't wanna be, but because the financial world is the way that it is, they don't have any choices. And I find that actually fascinating and rather heartwarming, honestly, continuing, the fund acquires physical Bitcoin, meaning that we will buy the actual Bitcoin rather than a derivative instrument on Bitcoin, said Adam Ching, founder and chairman of Fentonia Group, per the report. Oh, man, his last name is C-H-N-G. If that's not a typo, can you imagine having a last name with no vowels? Sorry, it's just a little aside there. The Fintonia Bitcoin Physical Fund aims to provide investors with quick, safe, and cost-efficient Bitcoin exposure through a more convenient investment vehicle by purchasing and holding BTC directly. The manager said a licensed and insured custodian will hold the fund's Bitcoin. As an MAS-regulated fund manager with strict standards, we can connect with multiple exchanges and different market makers, enabling us to find the best places as well as buy or sell at volume. Ching said the fund also enabled efficient cash or crypto transfers resolving the challenges around moving large amounts of cash in or out of the system, end quote. The Fentonia Secured Yield Fund, on the other hand, aims to provide Bitcoin holders with direct loans. Borrowers like traders, miners, and companies holding BTC can leverage their yield fund to access cash without selling their Bitcoin. Quote, Bitcoin is an excellent form of collateral for loans, Ching reportedly said. It trades 24/7 and is highly liquid, with approximately 30 billion dollars to 60 billion dollars per day. And if required, it can be quickly liquidated. In comparison with, for example, commodities and real assets. End quote. Bitcoin funds provide an easy, hassle-free investment experience. Investors can obtain exposure to the price of BTC by purchasing the fund shares from their regular broker. However, convenience comes at a cost. Only by holding Bitcoin directly will an investor be able to take advantage of the financial sovereignty and freedom enabled by the Bitcoin network, period. See, this is what I like about Namcios: is that he always makes sure that when he's doing stories about any kind of investment vehicle, instrument, what what derivative or physical when it comes to Bitcoin or not. He's always reminding you, and as I do, not your keys, not your coin. When you think about it from a very, very top down level, this is a derivative product, even though they are going to buy the physical Bitcoin. Why is it a a derivative? Because, as the investor that goes to the fund to buy the shares of the fund that is holding physical Bitcoin, I still don't own the Bitcoin. I own a piece of paper. That, in my opinion, is a fucking derivative. So they're saying that it's not not a derivative base. Yes, it is. It very much is when it comes to me as the investor. But guess what? I can't invest in this because I'm not an accredited investor. I don't have certificates and licensure to be able to invest in this thing, right? So I guess I'll just go buy some more Bitcoin. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Invesco launches spot Bitcoin ETP on Deutsche Börse. Helen Parts has more from Cointelegraph. Soon after dropping a filing for a Bitcoin futures exchange-traded fund in the United States, asset manager Invesco is launching a spot BTC exchange-traded note, or an ETN, in Europe. On November the 29th, German stock market operator Deutsche Borsch officially announced the listing of the Invesco Physical Bitcoin ETN on its stock exchange Ex- extra. Or x Ex- extra? Yeah, extra. X-E-T-R-A. Pronounce it how you want. The new product will trade under the ticker symbol B T I C. Admitted to the regulated market of the Frankfurt Stock Exchange, the new ETN product is physically backed by Bitcoin and is centrally cleared via Eurex clearing. Quote, through central clearing, investors benefit from significantly reduced risks in the settlement of transactions, end quote, the announcement notes. According to a report by the ETF-focused publication ETF Stream, custody of Bitcoin held on behalf of BTIC will be provided by Standard Charter's crypto custody platform known as Zodia. Northern Trust, a co-investor in Zodia, will reportedly act as the administrator for BTIC. Launched in late 2020, Zodia is registered with the United Kingdom's Financial Conduct Authority. Major European digital asset manager CoinShares is a known partner of Invesco and will serve as both the index sponsor and execution agent for the new ETN. BTIC is tracking the CoinShares Bitcoin hourly reference rate index, delivering the price performance on the underlying asset minus fees. The news comes shortly after Invesco withdrew its filing from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission for a Bitcoin futures-based ETF in October in order to provide investors with better investment options rather than just a 100% BTC futures ETF. Quote, Physical Bitcoin is a more observable marketplace. One of our concerns was the depth of synthetic liquidity as well as what that may do to valuations over time, and that is something we were not wholly comfortable with said gary buxton head of etfs and index strategies at invesco he added that invesco has been working on the product since the middle of 2018. invesco's entrance into the european industry of crypto exchange traded products or etps comes as deutsche Borse actively expands the range of supported crypto derivatives products across its operated exchanges. And according to the firm, the Xterra Exchange offers as many as 26 ETNs from seven providers on various cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, Shitcoin1, Shitcoin2, Shitcoin3, and Shitcoin4. Both being a type of ETP, ETFs and ETNs are fairly similar in that they both track an underlying asset and trading on exchanges in a similar manner to other securities. While an ETF presumes investment in a fund that holds the assets, the ETN is more like a bond, providing exposure to an unsecured debt note issued by an institution. So there you go. In case you wanted to know, we've got not one but two physical ETPs that are coming up—one um, in Singapore and one in Europe. So it should be an interesting, should be an interesting December. Let's see where we go on this one. Uh, in Where they're going in Russia, however, is apparently fairly high into the crypto uh, weeds. Crypto is a hedge for 46% of Russian retail investors, survey states. Helen Parts, again, for Cointelegraph. Almost half of retail investors in Russia believe that cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are a hedging asset associated with stable income, according to a new survey. FinancialPublicationInvesting.com has polled 1,000 Russian retail investors to find out the most requested types of alternative investments. According to the survey, as many as 46% of the respondents viewed cryptocurrencies as a potential defensive asset, allowing them to hedge against financial risks at times of an economic crisis. Russian retail investors favored crypto more than real estate while just 37% of respondents investing in alternative assets considered buying real estate an effective investment instrument. Real estate has been historically the top hedging asset in Russia according to Anastasia Kolasheva. Head of Investing.com's Russian division, she noted that cryptocurrencies have emerged as the largest investment trend in 2021 as they outstripped other traditional assets, including foreign exchange currencies and stocks. According to a study by big data platform Brand Analytics, Bitcoin was the most popular cryptocurrency in Russia in October, outpacing coins such as Tether and uh, uh, I will not name the shitcoin in terms of social media mentions. Cryptocurrencies have been growing increasingly popular among Russian investors in recent years, with 77% of Russian investors preferring Bitcoin to gold in a survey last year. Last week, the Bank of Russia published a financial stability report noting the country's growing role in the the global $2.8 trillion cryptocurrency market. The central bank mentioned that Russia ranks third in the world in terms of the national BTC hash rate and is one of the biggest users of the Binance cryptocurrency exchange. Amid growing inflation and the ongoing beer pandemic, global investments have been increasingly looking at cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin as a hedge against financial risks. According to Damian Corvallan, head of energy research at Goldman Sachs, investors have been increasingly hedging against inflation using crypto in addition to traditional assets such as gold. Just like we argue that silver is a poor man's gold, gold is maybe becoming the poor man's crypto, he said in November. Previously, Pindall's Group or Pendol Group Head of Alternative Duration Strategies, Mal Gore, argued that cryptocurrency should be added to new alternative defensive portfolios as government bonds have lost their value as a hedge against risk. You know, that's the end of the, the article, but I do want to uh, come back to this one. Head of energy research at Goldman Sachs is being, you know, asked about uh, crypto or well, in this case, let's just say Bitcoin, because I'm just getting sick of the word crypto. Um, He's being he's he's giving his opinion, but he's head of energy research at Goldman Sachs. Now, not to say that they can't have their opinions. It just seems a little odd to me that they're reaching out to an energy guy at Goldman Sachs to give his opinion on something like Bitcoin. Could that have something to do with the fact that we're, that the people reaching out to this man is like the energy guy actually makes more sense than anybody else. Why? Because Bitcoin mining requires energy and we've all seen where that's going. I take this as a little bit of, not a light at the end of the tunnel. What am I saying? Sort of a, I don't know, a a sign that uh, it's a sign that that things are are really going to end up going the way of energy bitcoin rather than real estate god forbid treasuries and all the rest of the the you know the putrid filth that lines the streets at this time but enough of that let's get on with this one Bitcoin enables a sovereign individuality. Our digital future's holy grail. This is Joseph Weinberg writing for Bitcoin Magazine. <sniffs> Whether it's how people live, their ability to travel to different places or how assets are completely digitized, the world is swiftly changing. In the cryptocurrency industry, we operate in an entirely digital format. While many of us strive to maintain privacy and preserve the sovereignty of the individual, this means not only the sovereignty of one's assets, but the sovereignty of how you work, where you work, where you live, and what you live for. My favorite book is The Sovereign Individual by James Dale Davidson and William Rees Mogg. I see it as a roadmap for the blockchain ecosystem. Please stop saying block blockchain, and crypto, dude. Bitcoin is an aperture for what the book describes and where the future is going. The authors state that the cyber economy, not China's legacy one, could become the greatest economic phenomenon of our age. It all comes down to first principles. What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be a sovereign individual? The idea is simple. We are each our own individual with our own identity. We can own assets as well as opt into and out of systems as we see fit. Whether that be opting into a country, a network, a communication system, a financial service, or a lending or loan system, it's all about the individual. To be sovereign is to be able to control that and to find that freedom and have choice. The book argues for decentralization, other things being equal. The more widely dispersed key technologies are, the more widely dispersed power will be, and the smaller the optimum scale of government the authors write. When I speak with regulators and they ask about decentralization, I tell them that the real measure of decentralization is censorship resistance, not distribution. Everyone is learning here and they definitely are still a ways off from truly understanding. In the world today, we've lost the ability to choose. We're instead forced into systems, but Bitcoin unshackles the individual from forced opt-ins. It creates more choice and freer markets. In the Bitcoin industry's pursuit of sovereignty, identity plays a critical role. Aggregating the data and the interactions one has while keeping control of that data with the individual would open many, many doors. Furthermore, what if better identity solutions could solve the privacy problem? WhatsApp has forced its users to opt into its service and fork over all of their data. That shouldn't be a binary ask. How do users preserve their right to consent to the use of our data? How do we start aggregating all of the different data we create every day into systems or a system owned and controlled by the individual. That doesn't mean everyone has to control all of their data all of the time, but at least we'd have the choice. Some of the choice to opt into or out of a country, for instance, you could theoretically port your identity in and out in a digital fashion, so why not? Ultimately, the more that you can distribute information and refrain from taking everyone's first and last names and then transferring that data everywhere, the more the individual can fully control the ent- the entirety of their data set. When we sign off on a Bitcoin transaction, that nature is a form of identity. It is a part of our financial identity. Bitcoin has driven this concept of decentralization forward. Bitcoin has changed the way people think. We're creating a change in social consciousness. Individual sovereignty and ownership gives us more choices. Sovereign individuals are the new elite. Just like Atlas wrote on Bitcoin Talk so many years ago, quote, I'm pretty confident we are the new wealthy elite, gentlemen, end quote. Even if you don't have your own sovereignty, while many sovereign individuals will, then countries will become like companies and people will be able to shop between jurisdictions. Countries will have to offer attractive policies to customers, lest they pack up and move away. The possibilities of identity are endless. With decentralization technologies like Bitcoin, identities can empower the unbanked to access credit or own a piece of property with land titles. Just think, what if we could use our reputations as a new form of credit creation? Imagine a world of lending systems not based on antiquated ways, but on the tools and indicators available to us today in a digital world. Bitcoin has spurred systems that will allow humanity to protect individual sovereignty and accelerate freedom. And that's the Holy Grail. That's going to do it for the morning roundup as well. Well, it's Monday. Kids are back in school for the first time since I had to take them to uh, my uncle's funeral last, uh, what, week before last. So, you know, with all that said, and because my kids were so sad this morning, it's time for a joke. When I was just a little kid, I used to pray for a bicycle. Then as I grew older, I learned in Sunday school, that's not how prayer works. So I stole the bike and prayed for forgiveness. that's the way we do it. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.